Amen. All right. You know, one thing I was thinking of as I was preparing for this morning, um, this week, it seems that uh, uh, you can look at two symbols in the life of Christ, and both of them are necessary if He is truly who He said He was. Um, the first one obviously being the cross. We talked about on Friday night, our Good Friday service, how the cross is so necessary um, for Christ that He had to go to the cross. Um, there was no other option for a man to be saved from their sin. And, and uh, we take the cross and we talked about on Friday how we kind of diminish it in some ways. We don't really understand the cross is an instrument of death. It's an instrument of execution. And that's what it was back then. And today we gold-plate it and, or uh, brass-plate it, whatever it is, and hang it around our neck and, uh, or put it on a ring or hang it on the wall, a wood symbol of a cross. And it, it was just interesting to me that we don't do that with the other symbol in the life of Christ, the other place he was and then was not, uh, that being the tomb. Uh, you know, we don't see tombs hanging around people's necks or gravestones or whatever. We just don't do that. And yet, without the tomb being empty, uh, we wouldn't be here today. There'd be no reason for us to be here today. And so both of those symbols in the life of Christ are definitely necessary, and they kind of play off each other. Without the cross, you'd never have the tomb, and uh, without the tomb, there would never be any need for the empty tomb, I should say, for a cross uh, to hold a Savior who would die for the sins of the world if he was never going to be raised on the third day. And uh, I just want us to kind of think of the timeline that we've been covering the last couple of weeks just briefly in our messages as we walked with Christ to the cross. And uh, we talked about on how Thursday, and you can just kind of listen to this in your mind and, and kind of think about how the last few hours of the life of Christ must have been. On Thursday night between 6.30 and 11.30 p.m., there was the sorrow of the Last Supper. They had the Last Supper together, and the disciples probably were there thinking, hey, this is going to be a joyous thing to celebrate the Passover, but Christ knew something different. And... Um, Tried to explain it to them, but they didn't necessarily get it. And we saw the, the sorrow of the, the betrayal of Judas. And then about 11.30 p.m. to 1 a.m. Friday morning, Thursday night, Friday morning, we see Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane and all the agony and the torture that he went through. Not because he was being physically tortured at that point, but the Bible even says that he, he sweat, as it were, drops of blood. And that's somebody who's so stressed out that the capillaries break and they'll mix in with the sweat glands and you're actually sweating blood. It's a medical condition that's even known today to happen to people under extreme duration and sweat and stress. And the blood comes out through their sweat glands. Um, That was the agony that he was in. And that was when he tried to get his disciples to pray with them and they just kept on falling asleep. Uh, About 1 a.m., we saw the arrest of Christ and the compassion he had on his captors. And then the trials began, one after the other. There were the religious trials, the government trials, three of each, basically. At that point, you saw his disciples scatter and desert him totally. Um, Peter even denied him. We talked about that. About probably 3 a.m., something around there, he's still bound 
Friday morning, and they're trying to hurry up this process. It's, it was illegal for them to hold a trial at night anyway, so they were trying to get some charge on Christ before the sun came up and, and get this thing done. They sent him before Pilate. They sent him before Herod. He was condemned by Pilate finally probably between 7 and 8.30 a.m. Friday morning. And his torturous trail path to the cross began Friday morning until around noon when we saw man's worst, the worst that man could give God. We saw that at Calvary. They mocked him. They spit in him. They put a crown of thorns on his face. They dressed him like a king and put a sign over the the cross saying, this is the king of the Jews in, in, in a mocking gesture, even though it fulfilled prophecy. That was man's worst that they could dish out. But at the cross, we also saw God's best at the cross. And we saw that because Christ could have at any moment in time said, you know what, I'm not going to do this. My feet hurt. I'm going home. Bink. I'm out of here. But he didn't do it. And it was his strength that held him there. It was his love for us that held him on that cross to go through that torturous death. They say it's one of the most excruciating deaths there are to be crucified. Because basically, outside of the wounds that Christ had in his hands and his feet... You're standing up there on a peg, basically, and, and, and your, your, your body begins to, to weaken, and he had to carry his cross, and he was beaten before this and flogged. Most people don't even survive a flogging, but Christ did. Made it to the cross, and you can imagine him on the cross at Calvary trying to gasp for air. Because basically your body gives out and you begin to slunch down, and when you slunch down, you, you crush your lungs and you can't breathe, and so you've got to stand back up. And I don't know if you've ever had a splinter in your finger and how much that hurts until you get that thing out. Can you imagine having a, a, a huge nail-driven spike driven through your feet, having to stand up on that and take a, one more gasp of air and then kind of slouch back down? And basically you suffocate to death. That's why the Scripture says that they would come around and they would break the legs of those they crucified. Because they didn't want him living for too long. Because in this case, it was it was the Sabbath was coming up, and they couldn't have him on the cross on the Sabbath. So they were going to break the legs, and therefore they would just suffocate. They didn't have to do that to Christ because he voluntarily gave up his life at that point. And we saw the abuse and the love that that, that held Christ to the cross. And then finally, when he uttered those words, "It is finished." I don't know about you, but I am so glad that on the cross, before he died, Christ yelled out, It is finished. Because you know what that means? That means that there's nothing more that needs to be done for our salvation. Nothing. There's nothing you can do. There's nothing I can do for our salvation. It's all in Christ. It's all done in the work of Christ. See, that's the difference between what we call a religion and what you might call Christianity. See, a religion basically says, you know what, you have to do all this stuff to try to make yourself look good before a holy God. You have to somehow reach out to a holy God, and if you do enough good works, eventually He'll say, ah, okay, now you're at my level. (laughs) remember growing up in a church where that was just the norm. You know, you, you went to Mass every week. You went to confession. You did everything you were supposed to do. Only to try to better your image 
in front of a holy God. And it got exhausting after a while. It got to the point where you thought, boy, is this really working? Or am I just kind of barking up the wrong tree here? It doesn't seem like I can ever do enough to satisfy this God that we're talking about. It's like they're always coming up with new rules to follow, new things that I have to do or new things that I have to give up. And God says, you know what? That's not what it's about. That's your own man-made religion. That's you trying to reach out to me on your own terms. What God wants us to understand is when Christ came and he died on Calvary, and we become Christians, we're part of Christianity. It's not what we do that counts. It's what was done in our stead. It's what Christ has done already on the cross. And so when he hung on the cross and he died and he breathed his last and he said, it is finished. That's exactly what he meant. He meant you can't add anything to this. Either you accept what I've done for you or you don't. But there's no back door. (laughs) There's no, you know, uh, I remember when we had the grandkids out, we had this castle that we bought at a garage sale. Actually, they gave it to us for free. And I got this thing together finally. So we had to take it apart to get it home. And uh, me not being all that bright, I didn't mark where everything goes. And so it took me about an hour and a half to get this silly thing together. Then we're going to throw it out. But I knew our grandkids would enjoy it. And so when they got there, I remember them playing through it and everything. And when I was putting it together, I noticed that it had a little, like, trap door. Couldn't even see it. And so I challenged them. You know, I said, who can find the trap door? And they're, the trap door, what's that? It's a secret door. And I kind of built it up. And, uh, you know, they're looking all over. And, and, and it was really done well, even though this thing was ready to be thrown out. And finally, you know, I think it was Mason or Sophia, you know, kicked the door. Ah, I found it. You know, there's no trap door to heaven. There's no secret way to heaven. There's only one way. And it's through our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the resurrection of Jesus Christ is truly amazing because everything we believe, everything we hold to be true, hinges on that fact. It's profound, it's exciting to think that God became man in Christ Jesus. I mean, he could have stayed up in heaven. He didn't have to come down here if he didn't want to. But he came down here and he took on a body just like you or I. And you say, well, yeah, but he was fully God. Yes, he was. But he was also fully human. So if you went up and you grabbed a hold of Jesus' ear when he was little and you said, come here, that hurt. Okay? If you've ever had that done, that hurts a lot. Or if somebody would, you know, if he'd get a splinter when he was working in his dad's carpentry shop or whatever, you know, that would hurt him. Physically, it would hurt him. Just because he was God, it didn't diminish the suffering he went through. And that he died on the cross for our sins. And then he rose bodily from the dead. What an incredible story. What an incredible way to bring man to God. And it's, it's a powerful message from God to the world that, you know what? You don't have to continue on in your life the way you are living. That there's hope. That there's forgiveness. There's peace. There's satisfaction in Christ. You know, that's one thing we don't see today in our society. You know, if, if you're kind of a tech junkie like I am, I mean, you know, these guys just got you right around the neck. You know, they come out with something new and you're like, yeah, I got to get that. And you buy it. And on the way home, you're driving down the freeway and on the billboard, you know, there's a newer, bigger model of whatever you just bought. And and it's like something inside us says, I need that too. There's like this lack of satisfaction in our society. 
And it's that way religiously too with people. You know what? I talk to people all the time about their religions. They're not satisfied with them. Most of them don't even go to their church anymore. I was talking to somebody the other day. They were telling me, yeah, you know, I'm Lutheran, but I went to a Baptist church. He's telling me this whole thing. But then they don't go to church. And I'm thinking, okay, something is amiss here. Something's wrong. You obviously are not satisfied with the religion of your choice. Why don't you give God a chance to show you what his choice is? There's only one. It's not difficult. See, if Christ had not risen from the dead, the whole Christian faith would have been useless. We wouldn't have been here today. We'd have no real hope for anybody to be saved at all. And we'd still be quickly on our way to hell because God is a just God. He has to punish sin. We all have sinned. The Bible said we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody. I don't care if you're, you know, pastor or the pope or whoever. Everyone has sinned. And to deny that, you're denying God's word. And so when you recognize that you've sinned, then you have to say, well, what do I do with this sin? Because I know God is holy. God can't dwell where there's sin. I want to go to heaven one day. God is there. How do we resolve this? Well, the Bible tells us it's only through committing your life to Christ. It's only in trusting in what he has done on the cross and that he rose on the third day, just as he said he would, by the way. There was no surprises there for Jesus. I had a chance, I was online trying to look for maybe a little Easter video to show, and one of them was really neat. It had the whole, you know, him being crucified, everything right up to the point, and then at the end it had him in the tomb. And they just ruined the whole video. Because you looked into the tomb in this video, and there was a man wrapped in, looked like toilet paper, just wrapped all around him, you know, like he was in his grave clothes. And all of a sudden you see his hands start to twitch, and then he sits up, you know, this like mummified person, and starts tearing this toilet paper off him. And I'm going, where is this going? And the look on this individual's face, it was supposed to be Jesus, when he tore it away from his face, it was almost as if he said, whoa, I'm alive. I didn't know this was going to happen. Well, let me tell you, he knew exactly what was going to happen. He told us what was going to happen before it even happened. He told his disciples. The scriptures speak of it over and over again. And it's interesting that, that Christ always completes what he says he's going to complete. I want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 this morning. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we'll start reading in verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection from the dead, then Christ is not risen. So the resurrection is kind of important. Verse 14. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if that's true. If, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, what's it say? Your faith is 
futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, well, they've perished. They're in hell. Verse 19, If in this only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. See, 1 Corinthians 15.19 says that if Christians have hope only for this life, if you have hope only for this life, if there's no resurrection, if there's no life after this, then it says, you know, we're to be most pitied more than all men. If we were to have hope in Christ and have the eternal life that He offers then we must see that His resurrection is critical. It's crucial to our faith. First thing I want to share with you this morning is that the resurrection is important for us today. The resurrection of Jesus Christ points to the truth, first of all, that He is God. That He is God. He's exactly who He said He was. And when we look at the Scripture, we see that Jesus obviously lived a supernatural life. All you have to do is read through some of the Gospels. He was born of a virgin. By the time he was 12, he was astounding the religious teachers of his day. His miracles, they captivated the crowds <coughs> in the minds of the people. And the Bible even says that he did so much stuff, the books can't even contain him. He performed all these great miracles and Christ was declaring when he was doing that that he was the Son of God. The the miracles that he performed on earth somehow seemed to indicate that he was more than just a mortal man. He was somebody special. Even at the age of 12, when he went into the temple, the synagogue, and he was teaching. (coughs) It's amazing. They were just blown away. But the greatest miracle of all his miracles has to be the resurrection. It has to be. Because without the resurrection, everything else would be for naught. And Jesus prophesied that he would rise. In Matthew 16, 21, it says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, that he must suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests, the scribes, and be killed and be raised on the third day. Stop and think, what if Jesus' prediction about rising from the dead had not come true? Thanks. What would you think of him? What if we could go to a tomb like everybody else's tomb and we could see the the mummified body of Christ? I don't think you'd be here this morning. (laughs) Not in this Christian church. Because if Christ were still in the grave, it wouldn't matter. But because Jesus Christ is God, the very source of all life, it was impossible, the Bible says, for death to keep a grip on him. There was no way that the tomb in Jerusalem could have been Christ's final resting place. In Acts chapter 2, verse 24, it says, "...whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible..." that he should be held by it. Can you imagine that kind of incredible power? 
that you have the ability to defeat death. It's no wonder so many early Christians were willing to suffer death as martyrs because they proclaimed Christ Jesus as the risen Savior, as God. And they thought, hey, you know what? The worst they can do is kill me. One day I'll be risen because our Savior was risen. They understood the, the profound implications of the resurrection. And from them, for them, the empty tomb said it all. It said that he was exactly who he said he was. He was God. And even though Christ predicted both his death and his resurrection, you know, you can predict all you want. There's people that predict all the time. You see him on the radio. You see him or hear him on the radio. You see him on TV. You know, around New Year's. You know, do you ever watch some of those programs? You know, well, I think there's going to be a major flood this year. Big deal. You know, I mean, what kind of prediction is that? Tell me it's going to be at my house and it happens. Then maybe I'll start listening to you. But, you know, cut out these generic, you know, kind of a things. People make predictions all the time, but they don't come true. Well, Christ made many predictions and they all came true. <clears throat> The empty tomb was the announcement that Christ proclaimed to the entire world, you know what? I am God. I am exactly who I said I was. In Romans 1.4, Paul writes this, and he declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. See, that's part of the declaration of who Jesus was as the Son of God. The resurrection had to take place. And it's, it's, it's comfort for those who are willing to follow Christ and come to Jesus as their Lord and Savior to understand that He is God and that His claims are true. And whatever He says He'll do, He'll carry it out to completion. It's because Jesus Christ is God and His predictions always, always become reality. And you know what? There's some predictions in the Scripture. I think I put the the uh, scriptures down there, of predictions that haven't come true yet, but we can look forward to. In John 14, 1-3, it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. This is Christ speaking. In my Father's house there are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you so. I go and prepare a place for you. It says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. That's a promise for all those who come to faith in Jesus Christ. That he is coming again. He will return one day. And you say, well, when's it going to happen? I don't know. It kind of takes out the element of surprise. You know, you come around Christmas time. I, 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 I've kind of, you know... You're exchanging gifts and everything. And, and I miss the days when you didn't know what you were going to get for Christmas. You know, now it's like, what do you want? Oh, you know, iPod would be nice. Okay, great. You know, it's just kind of like you got this all figured out ahead of time. However, that was a surprise, dear. I didn't realize you got me that for Christmas. But, but you know, the point of the matter is, is that, you know, we don't know when Christ is coming back. It could be 20 years from now. It could be 100 years from now. It could be 100 minutes from now. It could be 30 seconds from now. And the question is, are you ready? Are you ready to meet the Savior? See, the interesting thing about Jesus is when He first came, He came as a Savior. He came into this world in a very humble way. 
and he lived a life, an example for us. He died a cruel death on a cross. He was raised from the dead. And the Bible says the next time he comes, when we see him coming, if you have not trusted Christ by that time, it's too late. You're not going to meet Jesus the Savior. You're going to meet Jesus the Judge. Here comes the Judge. Remember that? You know, well, that's what it's going to be like. And you don't want, you don't want to be in that courtroom. All right? Because everything is going to be done right and justly, and you'll be found still wanting in your sins if you haven't come to Christ. So he'll come again. 1 John 3, 2 says this, Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we shall know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, like Christ for we shall see Him as He is. One day, we will have a glorified body. One day, we will be like our Savior, just like He is now. We won't be our Savior. We won't be God, but we will be like Him. I'm kind of looking forward to that. Can you imagine just a glorified body? I mean, you do all sorts of things in a glorified body that you can't do now. Also, in Matthew 25, 31 to 34... He says this, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand and the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on His right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Can you imagine if you were in Christ today one day, not only is He coming back for you, not only is He going to make you like Himself in a glorified body, but it says here that also He is now preparing a kingdom that you will inherit. And He's been preparing it from since the foundation of the world. Anybody here ever built their own house? Kind of gone through the whole process of maybe remodeling or built their own house and you know you got the plans and you start tearing stuff apart and then it starts coming back together and you just long for that day after probably months and months and months or maybe years or whatever the case may be that you move into your new house. That's nothing. That's absolutely nothing compared with what awaits us in his kingdom. And He's preparing it for us. Even now. Well, secondly, the resurrection not only shows us that Jesus is God, but the resurrection shows us that Christ is alive to help us now. See, a lot of times people think that religion and Christianity, all this stuff... They kind of throw it all in the same thing to say, oh, you know, I don't need that. I got my act together. I got a good job. Got a place to live. Got a family. Got a, you know, all this stuff. Got everything in order. Well, I want you to know this morning that Christ rose from the dead so that he can help us now. It's not just something that we anticipate one day. But he is a very active help and assistance in the lives of those who put their faith, their trust in him. I don't know many people who pray to Abraham or Moses or George Washington or other great men in history. I mean, logic tells us, basically, that dead people don't have the power to do anything. 
They don't have the power to assist us <laughs> in our complex world. They just don't. Dead people are dead. They can't do anything for us. It would be true to say that a dead man can't save anyone. But all around the world, it seems that millions of people pray to Jesus Christ. Why do you think that is? Prayers are being offered to Him because the person's praying, they're convinced that this Jesus Christ is in fact alive and that He's able to help them in whatever situation they find themselves. He can make a profound difference in your life if you just allow Him. If you just open up the door and say, you know what, I'm tired of doing things my own way. I just want to kind of yield my life to you and trust that, that you'll do what your word says you'll do. Here's a couple things that Christ are doing for us right now. It says right now, Jesus is with us right now for those who put their faith or trust in him. He's offering us his resurrection power. And in Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus said to his disciples, he said this, Lo, I am with you always, <coughs> even to the end of the age. I had a seminary professor, or Bible college professor, that always said, oh, pilots hate this verse. I thought, pilots? Yeah, airline pilots, they hate this verse. I said, why? Because it says, low, I am with you always, not high. I thought, well, that's kind of weird. But I remember that, that you know what? No matter where you're at in life, Christ is with you. It doesn't matter what you're going through. Doesn't matter what your children are going through, what your marriage is going through, what your job is going through, Christ is there if you've trusted him and he's offering you the power to deal with whatever is on your plate. He's he wants to be intimately and actively involved in your life. He wants to give us some of his resurrection power, you might say. In Philippians 3:10 it says that Paul says this that I may know him and the power of his what? resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. Ask yourself, how can we know the power of the resurrection, of Christ's resurrection? In what ways do you think Christ's resurrection power could be a reality in your life? Why do you think so many people, even Christians, don't experience this power that God is talking about? And then ask yourself, are you experiencing it personally? So he wants us to experience that power. Secondly, Jesus is actively working for us in heaven right now. You know, there's a lot to be understood about heaven. And we, there's a lot about heaven we can't understand. It just boggles our minds. There's a whole unseen world in the heavenlies that's affecting our physical world each and every day. The Bible says in 1 John 2.1, it says, My little children... I'm writing you these things that you may not sin. And then he says this. These are just words of hope. He says, if anyone sins, yeah, right, like that's like not going to happen. Okay. By the way, if, <laughs> if anyone sins, yeah, I, I think it should say since anyone sins, because everybody sins, you might say. Anybody here never sin? I don't think so. It says we have an advocate with the Father. We have an advocate. That advocate's name is Jesus Christ the righteous. See, an advocate is someone who pleads 
another's case. Kind of like a lawyer. When you, when you go to, hopefully you don't have to, but if you had to go to court and you needed to plead your case before the judge, it's very wise that you get a lawyer. Kind of like when you're buying a house, it's very wise that you get a what? Real estate agent. Okay, they know a lot about their thing. And same thing with law. Well, it says here that we already have one. We have an advocate. We have a, somebody in a very special way. Christ defends us and he explains our case to the Father. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, the Bible says that there's someone out there called the accuser of the brethren, the evil one, the enemy. And every time we do something wrong, he's up there talking to God, basically saying, hey, did you see what Steve did? Oh, yeah, he's a Christian. Yeah, oh, he's even a pastor. Look at what he did. Look at that argument they got into. Oh, my goodness. And you know what God is saying? Jesus Christ is before God saying, hey, you know what? It's forgiven. It's clothed. He's clothed in my righteousness because he's trusted in me. He's one of our own. In Romans 8.34, Scripture tells us, Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore, it is also risen, who is even at the right hand of the Father, who also makes <laughs> intercession for us. Stop and think about the fact that you know, when someone says, oh, you know, boy, I've been feeling sick or I've been having a problem. Well, you know, I'll pray for you. Okay, great. That's great. We welcome the prayers. We pray for each other. We pray for the body. We pray for a lot of different people. What we fail to realize is that, you know what? Christ, right now, as we're sitting here this morning, is making intercession for us. He's up there before the Father. And he's running interference for us, you might say. <coughs> helping us better understand how to live for him in a very real way. The third thing is the resurrection not only proves that Christ is God and not only also simply wants, he wants us to share in his power, but also the resurrection shows us that Christ has defeated death. You know, if you were to say, what's the biggest enemy to human life? You'd have to say death. That's the one thing that can end it, is death. You know, now I don't know about you, but I don't look forward to dying. I just don't. I don't know many people that do. Do I look forward to being with the Lord? Sure. But I don't look forward to, to dying. I mean, there's, there's a lot of stuff that has to get done first, in my mind. A lot of relatives I'd like to see one to cry. There's a lot of things that go on before, hopefully, I step over into eternity. But you know what? I don't care how you look at it. There's nothing you can do to stop it. You cannot stop death. One day, we all will die unless the Lord comes back first. Then the Bible says those who know Christ will be taken up with him. But outside of that fact, one day, you know, it's not like, well, you know, I got an 85% chance of dying. You can't say that. I mean, if you're going to bet on something, bet on, you know what, one day I will die. You'll probably win the bet. You'll lose your life, but you'll win the bet. No matter who we are, each one of us must look into the dark face of death one day. (laughs) 
There's this humiliation. There's this finality that comes with death. I don't know about you, but when you think of dying, what pops into your head? What emotions pop into your head? What do you think about? What do you think is so terrifying about death? What do you suppose God thinks about death? Well, I'm here to tell you Jesus Christ has done something about it. See, nobody hates sin and its consequence of death more than Jesus Christ. He came to earth to overthrow death and sin once for all. And He was complete in His accomplishment of that. In order to pay for man's sin and conquer death, Christ had to die on the cross. And there on the cross, He carried the weight of the mankind's sin And then he suffered that curse of that sin upon himself. Even though he had never committed any sin, he was treated as if he had committed every sin by every person who would ever believe on his name. God tells us that because Jesus has come back to life, we can be alive forever too. In Romans 8.11 it says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Him from the dead dwells in you... He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. The Lord promises to give us a resurrection body, just like His. (coughs) The Bible states that Jesus Christ in Philippians 3.21, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things unto himself. See, we still have to face physical death here on this earth. But he's provided life for us for all eternity through his death. In John 11, verse 25 and 26, Jesus told Martha, the sister of Lazarus, some very incredible news. I think I've written them there in your outline. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall, what? Live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. And the question is, do you believe this? See, Jesus is our option to live today. That's what He wants us to do. He wants us to commit our hearts, our lives, onto Him. We would have been left powerless and without hope if Christ were not raised from the dead. And all of mankind is filled with sin. We're all sinners and we all need the grace of God. And without Christ's intervention in our lives... There's no hope for us whatsoever. But God has provided a way out. He's provided a way of deliverance. God has provided a full payment for our sin. In Colossians 3, verses 1 to 4, Paul writes this, If then you were raised with Christ... See, once you come to Christ, you're raised with Christ. Once you put your faith, your trust 
in Jesus Christ and not your own self to try to save yourself, then you can, you know, begin to understand that you have a new life in Christ. It's because of that new life in Christ that you can see your life transformed. It's nothing you do. It's something God does through us, in us. And he says, if you were raised with Christ, he says this to believers, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Sitting at the right hand of God. So first of all, he tells us to seek the things which are above. And then in verse 2, he says, set your minds on things above. So the first of all, the thing is you're, you're seeking it. Once you, you find it, it says set your mind on concentrate on it. Focus on it. Don't focus on the things around us here. All this is just going to be burned up one day. It doesn't mean we can't have things and nice things or whatever. You just got to make sure that those things don't have you. Because one day you're going to be called to release those things as you're ushered into eternity. So set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. In verse 3, he says, For you died. That's what has to happen before you can have new life in Christ. You have to be willing to give up your life. You have to die to yourself. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Verse 4, When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. See, because we're children of God, we are children of life. So we should spend our lives following Jesus Christ closer and closer until finally the risen Christ fills our lives to the brim and we're taken home to be with Him. I pray that if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted Christ, you haven't fully yielded your life to Him. You haven't fully dealt with the, the sin that we all have. But I'm talking you personally. If you've looked at your sin and it's still there and, and nothing's been done with it, it still has a hold on your life. You need to take that to the cross. You need to take that to Christ. You need to confess it to Him. You need to say, God, you know what? Be merciful to me, a sinner. Those are words that God will hear. And God will answer a prayer like that. And He will show you His mercy. You can meet Jesus as your Savior and not the ultimate judge one day. But don't put it off. Because we don't know what tomorrow may bring. Let's close in a word of prayer. And Father, we thank You for this morning. Lord, we pray that You would minister Your truth to our hearts. Father, we thank You that the resurrection shows us clearly that Christ is God and that He wants to help us and, and that He wants to be active and involved in our lives each and every day. Lord, He's not just some God that's out sitting on a cloud somewhere disconnected from us. But Father, we pray that as we seek to do Your will in our daily lives, that we would remember all that You've done for us. Lord, it's because of Your love that You died on the cross that You rose the third day. And it's because of Your love that we can have forgiveness of sin and forgiveness in Christ. And Father, we pray that You would minister Your grace to our lives.
that You would show us all that You would desire for us to take away today. And Father, we thank You and we praise You for each one here this morning. If there's one that has yet to put their faith in You, I pray that they would cry out to You. Trust You this morning. We thank You in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen.